everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up. BFW's weekly show where we hit on all the latest and greatest news. Man, if you have been following BFW this week, you have been on a roller coaster ride of craziness when it comes down to transfer rumors, signings, rumored sales. It has been absolutely crazy. Uh, we have been trying to keep up with it all, but even with our staff, which is working very hard to, to capture all of this news, we can't even keep up with it all. So we are are constantly spinning our wheels because every time a piece of news comes in, it changes about 10 minutes later, but we are working hard to stay on top of it. And we appreciate everyone that's able to drop by the site, check it out, and then also Catch up with us on these podcasts because we do love bringing these to you as well. Uh, if you caught the last flagship show, I was able to hook up with I Need No Name. And I had a lot of fun doing that. We covered a lot of the big news. Uh, it was always good to be able to chat with a lot of the BFW staffers over the course of a podcast. And uh, I don't get a, really enough of an opportunity to do that with them. And it was it was awesome to be able to link up with I Need No Name for that. If you get a chance, check that one out. One other thing before I really get moving on this podcast. If you have not voted for us in the World Soccer Talk Best Club Podcast Award voting, Get out there and do it. We appreciate uh, anything you can do to help us capture this award. As I said uh, on the last podcast, this kind of win isn't just great for the small group of podcasters we have. It's really a representation of the entire BFW community, how much support is out there, because everybody literally has a voice at BFW. We see your comments. We're often interacting with them. And you all play a big role in what we do and the kind of site that we have. And that carries right over to the podcast. So give us a vote. Help us wrap up that title for the second year in a row. It would be awesome to do that. The voting runs through the entire month of June. So let's go out and win that one. It would be nice to uh, bring home uh, a trophy this season and it would match Bayern Munich. So uh, we could be just as successful as they are minus the multi-million dollar budget which of course we do not have anyway uh as i stated it has been insane this week covering Bayern munich and when we look at the the absolute just chaos that's ensuing in the transfer window that hasn't even started yet Bayern munich is really it's got its hands in everything and as we know about transfer windows there are a lot of ups a lot of downs a lot of disappointment and sometimes some excitement as well. One of the stories that has been out there that has given Bayern Munich fans, it's really created a, a fervor in the fan base is the transfer rumor linking the club to West Ham's Declan Rice. Rice, of course, was able to clinch the Europa Conference League with West Ham. And that is probably a good way for him to sign off on his career with the Hammers. Rice, of course, at 24, has done a great job of pushing himself forward in his career and putting himself in this position where he's got multiple teams vying for him. Bayern Munich, Arsenal, Manchester City, and Manchester United among them. Rice is literally going to change his life this summer with the kind of money he's going to make. West Ham is going to cash in, and they're probably going to get nine figures for him. And it's really going to set off a chain of events here that for all of these clubs is going to create some excitement, 
and a lot of issues. For Bayern Munich, it really is coming down to the nitty-gritty for them on this. And we saw some reports this week that stated that Bayern is at least a week away, maybe two from submitting a formal offer to West Ham. But the most recent reports indicate that Arsenal has already lobbed over 107 million euro bid to the Hammers for Rice. Can Bayern Munich get to that number? Are they willing to go that high for Rice? I don't know. If you've listened to me over the course of this rumor being around, I like Rice. I think he is a terrific player. He would be an absolutely great fit at Bayern Munich. And these are all the same things that I would say about Harry Kane. But also, like I said about Harry Kane, I think any talk about this is really a pipe dream. And I don't fault Rice for entertaining conversations with Bayern Munich. I don't fault his family for having those discussions as well. He's got to play the market. He's got to work to get his price up. He's got to put himself in a good position. So Bayern Munich is as good as any club to have in the position of wanting you because they're a European power. They are a rich club. As much as some fans might not want to want to admit it, Bayern Munich has the money to go out and get whoever they want, whenever they want. So being able to have that kind of bidding power wanting you is, is a very powerful thing for Declan Rice. Unfortunately, I don't think he really has any intention of uprooting himself and his family during the prime of his career to move from England to Germany. I just don't see it happening. I felt the same way about Harry Kane. As great as it would be and as wonderful of a fit as it would be for Kane or Rice to move to Bayern Munich, it's just not realistic. And it's, it's a sad thing to say that because Bayern is a prestige club. They have the ability to not just offer players boatloads of cash. They can match any monetary contract that, that any club in Europe can dole out to a prospective player. The problem is, and it's not even the Bundesliga farmers league tag that, that often gets labeled on the German league. It, it's just that players don't want to go through learning a new language settling into a new country, really, like I said, uprooting a family if you don't have to. And I think that's ultimately what it's going to come down to for Rice. It's a lot off the field to make that move. No matter what kind of money Byron could put in his bank account, it's just a lot to put a family through. It's a lot as a player to have to go over and then add learning a language to your repertoire. It is. It's difficult enough for many players to move to Byron and assimilate themselves on the field and to be able to be a big, good contributor during their first season. We saw how Sadio Mane struggled with that this season. I'm not saying Declan Rice would, would necessarily struggle at Bayern Munich, but I don't think he wants the added strain and stress of all of these off-the-field things that he would have to deal with. I think he's a young guy. He wants to go out and have a great career and he knows he can do that in England. And for that reason, I don't just don't think Bayern Munich's going to be able to get this deal done. I don't know who they go after. If rice is not going to make that move to Germany, we saw this week that they were linked to Frankie de Jong. Of course, Bill chimed in to refute that rumor. Raphael Honigstein from the athletic was the one that initially brought that up. I don't necessarily discount the rumor, 
De Jong at this point has shown no desire to leave FC Barcelona, even though they keep trying to give him reasons to leave the club. Byron, of course, has had interest in De Jong since he was a very young player. And you can go all the way back to, I want to say, 2017, 2016, 2017, when Byron was looking at both Delict, Matthijs Delict, and Frankie De Jong to bring to Byron at that time. Of course, it didn't work out. Delict ultimately went to Juventus before making his own way to Bayern Munich. De Jong, though, has been with Barcelona, but he's caught in this weird mix of players that Barca has. They have a lot of young Spanish talent in the midfield. They have players who they are invested in. And I'm not sure that De Jong is really factoring into their long-term plans, but he has no intention of leaving that club at the moment, at least according to what he has been saying. Could Byron convince him to make that move? Maybe. I think when the summer starts to wind on, if De Jong starts to get an inclination that his role at FC Barcelona might not be as important, as he would like, then maybe. I think a big wrench got thrown into any thoughts about players like De Jong and Robert Lewandowski being available because Lionel Messi was, by all accounts, targeting going back to FC Barcelona, but something fell apart on the way to that deal getting done. Messi had some very strange comments about Barcelona uh, when the announcement was made that he would be joining Inter Miami, which, again, is crazy to me because in about 16 days or yeah, 16 days. They're going to be playing in Chester PA, which is <laughs> like 15 minutes from my house. So uh, to be, to think that Messi would be there, it's crazy. I know he likely won't at that point, but to think that Messi would be playing 15 minutes away from where I live is insane enough, but either way back to De Jong, he's not going to become available because Barca needs to shed salary to bring Messi back. So De Jong, by, at this point, De Jong is probably not an option. Who could Byron get to come in and play this role of a number six, a defensive midfielder? I don't know. The most recent rumor from our friends over at, uh, at TZ, Philip Kessler and Mano Bank, they have Byron chasing Fiorentina midfielder Safian Armrabat as a contingency plan. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't know much about the Moroccan midfielder. Certainly not enough. I have not seen him play enough to give you an educated opinion on how I feel he would fit. If you guys have an opinion, a lot of you do watch Serie A, drop some comments below. I'd love to get what you think about that kind of move. But Byron has an open book now. Uh Certainly, they could get creative instead of moving Kimmich to the eight. They could keep him at the six and ride with that. You would have Goretzka, Leon Goretzka, Ryan Gravenberg, Conrad Limer's options. Uh, certainly, that could play the eight if Kimmich was the six. But I don't know who else as a number six, a defensive midfielder, a ball winner, Bayern Munich could go out and get. Now, we do know that Byron has made a really deft signing of Rafael Guerrero from Borussia Dortmund, who of course will come to Bayern Munich on a free if everything goes through like it's expected to. Guerrero could conceivably play in the central midfield as a six, though I don't know his profile size-wise fits what Byron would like out of that position. I think that the 
acquisition of Guerrero is mostly to be a depth player along the back line on the in the outside back positions. Byron has some uncertainty with some of the players. Alfonso Davies has certainly uh, made things a little questionable. We know that his agent is taking calls from other clubs. One of them believed to be Real Madrid, who, if you believe the reports, wants to send an offer to Bayern Munich this summer for Davies. Uh, I doubt that anything will happen. I doubt Bayern would let Davies go at this point. But if Madrid comes calling with nine figures and Davies lets Bayern know that he wants to move on, it might be a situation where there's a slim possibility that it happens. Nusar Mizrawi is a player who a lot of people have high hopes for, but he has got some ill will toward Bayern Munich, it seems. Not happy with his playing time this season. Uh, has some doubt about how Tuchel views him. We have seen him linked to Manchester United, among other clubs. Uh, so if you look at that situation, you've got Davies on not shaky ground, but at least letting you know that he might not be there for the long haul. You've got Mesrawi not super happy. You've got Benjamin Pavar most likely leaving the club. You've got Luca Hernandez probably leaving the club. He's got a five-year offer from PSG. I mean, those are four players who could conceivably play as outside backs. Now, Hernandez and Pavar are probably better center backs, but it's still within their repertoire to be able to play those positions. So you could see a fair amount of turnover. And it's a situation where Guerrero presents a, a contingency measure at several different positions. I don't expect him to be sliding into the central midfield, though at this point you can't rule it out because Bayern Munich has a strong desire to push Kimmich up and they need a six to be able to provide coverage in the back. Like I said, I don't think Guerrero necessarily fits that profile, but he certainly is someone who is going to be able to provide backup services to Alfonso Davies. He can provide good coverage uh, of Davies when Davies inevitably gets hurt. This season, I think Guerrero was better than Davies. And I know there have been multiple Bundesliga teams at the season. Statists, the ones that are more based on analytics and statistics have targeted Guerrero as having a better season than Davies. The one that was voted on by the Bundesliga players had Davies as the left back either way. We have seen that Guerrero can be a very, very valuable asset to a team like Bayern Munich. And I think that, you know, without having a sporting director right now, you could you could say that uh, Bayern Munich has done well to get Guerrero, but it does not fully solve this number six issue. Even though Guerrero will no doubt be a good, valuable player to have for depth on the, uh, on the at the outside back positions, and also within the central midfield, I don't know if they would feel great or comfortable with him as a number six uh, moving forward. But either way, where does Byron go from here? If Guerrero is not the answer, if Armabad is a player that they're looking at, if Rice is clearly not going to come and De Young is a long shot, where does Byron go? And how do they make this dream of using Yashua Kimmich as the number eight work? I don't know. At this point, I'd love to hear what you guys have to say on this because this Rice rumor has, it's driven a line. I don't even want to say divide within the, the BFW community or even the Bayern Munich fan base because there are some people that absolutely think this is the perfect move. Bayern needs to make it. 
Then there's the other half that are, that are processing this and saying, you guys are definitely right. Rice is a good player. He can help the team, but it's just not realistic. And that's, I'm on this unrealistic side. I just, I can't see this move working out. There are a few that think Rice is overrated, but I mean, that's a very small minority at this point. And for Bayern Munich, it is going to get to a point where we're going to have to wonder if they can't go out and get their man, if they cannot get Rice, just like last season, they tried to get Holland and could not get him. Do they have a contingency plan? Do they have a way to move forward? Who are they going to get that is going to be of the requisite quality to be the type of defensive midfielder to play the way that Thomas Tuchel wants them to, that is good enough to win a Bundesliga, to win a Day Bay Pokal, and to compete in the Champions League. I don't know. I don't know who's available. I don't know what Bayern Munich can swing, but there are a lot of chips still to fall in this transfer window. There will be a lot of player movement across Europe. Bayern's going to have to figure it out because at least at this stage, I am not convinced that Rice is making that move. It surely looks like Arsenal has the leg up on Bayern Munich in this race. And even if something falls through with Arsenal, you've got Manchester United and Manchester City ready to roll out the red carpet, pay Rice the big bucks, and give him the option to stay in England. So for Declan Rice, I just don't think it's going to happen. Now, something that could be more realistic that could help provide Bayern Munich with a little more cash to go out and work on some of the other areas of the team that they want to bolster. We saw several reports this week about potential player sales. The Daily Mail had one that listed off seven players, which was kind of incredible. Sadio Mane, Leroy Sané, Serge Gnabry, Bunasar, Alexander Nubel, Marcel Sabitzer, and Benjamin Pavar. Seven players. You could conceivably see all of them being sold. You could also see Luca Hernandez being sold because we know PSG is all over him at this point. Uh, it, it, it's just funny to me that there is talk of all this turnover for a team that really was good. And I think the most shocking bit of information that, that seeped out, it was another report from ESPN that emerged that Bayern Munich is looking to sell Serge Gnabry and or Leroy Sané. And, and when I saw the Daily Mail report, which was the first one that dropped, I was very skeptical. But then when I saw the ESPN report, and this really kind of backed up some things and really wasn't linked to the Daily Mail report at all, it made sense that Byron could be going in this direction and wanting to start next season with a clean slate on its tack. Uh, Gnabry is a player who is... is Speaking of driving divides, uh, has driven a major divide within the Bayern Munich fan base. Some people just look at the raw numbers and, and Gnabry is certainly productive. Some people look at his talent and you cannot deny he is a fantastic player. But other people just lean back on his inconsistency and his propensity to disappear at times. And both sides of that argument are right. Gnabry produces, he's uber talented yet he disappears for long stretches of the season. Has that worn Bayern Munich down to the point where they think they need to move on? Maybe. Are they looking at those rumors that Arsenal would like to bring him back and thinking they could cash out on him now? Maybe. I mean, this is all possible. And and if they're able to go out and get 60 to 80 million for Gnabry, 
is that a good deal? Is that something they should do? I think most fans would probably say yes. Uh, Byron needs the cash. Would it hurt the team? Probably. I mean, you're losing some superior depth at wing. If you're going out and you know you want to get rid of Sadio Mane, you don't think he can fit at Bayern Munich, you don't think he's producing, you absolutely want to get his salary off the budget, for sure. You you have to go out, you have to make that a priority. But then do you, do you go down and do you look to sell Gnabry? Do you look to sell Leroy Sané, someone who the club and its fan base clamored for for 18 months? We all went through that. They finally got him, and he's had some just terrific moments of brilliance. And then, much like Gnabry has shown this weird propensity to fall into these ruts where he looks like he has no confidence. And that may be the only difference between the two players. They both share immense talent. They both are fast, pacey players. They both are held in high regard throughout Europe. But whereas Gnabry's performance dips and sometimes it's really just performance related with him, Sané, I feel like, goes into these mental funks where he is not confident. He loses his ability to, to be at his most dangerous because he loses confidence. And you can see that in his play. There are times where he clearly has time to unleash that left foot and rip off a shot, but he won't do it. And, and that's a shame because a player with that much ability and someone who is can be that impactful to be to deal with those situations and to fall in those funks like he does, it's tough to watch. And maybe, and I don't know if this is true or not, maybe that's why Bayern Munich is reportedly thinking about a sale of him. I don't know that that we'll see both players go, especially if they if they are successful in offloading Mane, but if you're going to tell me that Bayern Munich is going to sell Serge Gnabry, Leroy Sané, and also Sadio Mane this window, I tell you, you're probably crazy. But I could see why, if if these reports are true, Bayern would be exploring that. And ESPN's report made it make a little more sense because we've all been kind of bantering back and forth about who Bayern Munich's next striker should be. Should they go all in and get Victor Osman from Napoli? Should they look over to Eintracht Frankfurt knowing they're going to have to pay nine figures for Randall Colo Moani and just do it because they need someone? Or will they look over at Juventus, see Dusan Vlahovic at probably a more attainable figure, probably a lot more room to work with in terms of making a deal for a player with that kind of potential, someone that who they maybe can reshape and remold into what they want sort of like they did with Matthijs De Ligt last summer. I think in my mind, I've been, and I've said it over and over again, given those three options, I'm going with Vlahovic because he's going to be the cheapest and he is going to be the type of striker that Bayern Munich has historically wanted. He's going to fit that profile a little better than Osiman or Randall Colo Moani could do. But what ESPN brought up was something that, Many people have theorized, and that's Randall Colomuani could fit that profile as a winger just as easily as he could striker. Knowing that, ESPN is saying that Dusan Vlahovic and Randall Colomuani would be targets of Bayern Munich during this transfer winter, not just one of them. And that's key. All along, I have been in this, it's either or with those two players. And you could say, 
Victor Osman as well. There was always going to be one of those players. But now if you're telling me that Byron is legitimately going to go out and chase two players who not only are at that monetary level, you're going to have to shell out close to $200 million to get both of them, then you have to start selling some players. And you particularly have to clear out some room in that attack. And what better way to do that than with two players like Gnabry and Serge, Gen- well, Serge Gnabry and Leroy Sané, who could not only bring you back a lot of money in return, but also have that high reputation among clubs in Europe where they know they're getting a legitimate producer. So normally we look at these reports and and we kind of, for lack of a better term, piss all over them. But this time it kind of does make sense. And if Byron is to go that route and they decide that they're going to sell off some of their existing wingers to uh, make room for Vlahovic and Randall Kolomoani, I won't totally be shocked. I could see it happening. The other interesting point of this fallout is what happens in the scenario if, if they do end up getting rid of two or three between Mane, Gnabry, and Sané? What happens with coverage? How do you... How do you account for needing wings if you just have Kolo Moani and Coman? Well, there are options. I have long been a proponent of using Jamal Musiala on the wing. I still think that is the way to go. I know I am in the minority, and it's probably one of the times where I need no name and myself are completely on the same page. We think that Musiala, that those of us in this this mass gathering of people who want to see Musiala on the wing, think he is more effective as a winger, that it better utilizes his skills, and it's just better for the team. I, I, I mean, at this point, as good as Musiala is at any position you put him in, I just think he's more impactful as a winger. So you do have coverage because you can play him there. And one thing that people always forget about is you also have Alfonso Davies who can play that wing position. And we don't know, honestly, if Davies wants to continue playing left back for the rest of his career, or if he eventually wants to get further up the pitch and return to playing wing, which is a position that he had played much earlier in his career. So there are options. Losing that many players, there's already building contingency plans. And if Musiala was to be a player they would consider putting outside on the wing, it would also offer up more playing time for Thomas Muller, who I know, listen, on our site, there is the hashtag Muller Mafia, and then there is the bunch of skeptics, right? Like, there's a lot of back and forth with that. And a lot of times our site, we get accused of being Muller apologists. As I've stated a million times, I've never been in the Muller Mafia. I try and evaluate players objectively. Uh, based on their performances. And I I think Muller got a raw deal this season. I think he was very effective when called upon. I think he was unnecessarily benched by both coaches at times. And I think it hurt the team. Muller only has a couple of seasons left. Now, he's got the kind of body type and the kind of game that could probably make him be effective into his late 30s. But I think if you're looking at starting level, uh, absolute play, you know, three out of every four games type of player, Muller's probably got a year or two left of that, maybe even just a year. But if he only has a year, you want to take advantage of it because for as much as the haters of Muller want to say that, that, you know, the team's better off without him, it's undeniable that when he's out there, he makes everyone around him better. And it's hard to capture that. 
it really is no matter what the sport is like if you look at even the nba finals if you're a sucker and you're watching that like i am nikola jokic is a player who makes everyone around him better because he does so many things well uh, people will tell you he's not as good a scorer as Joel Embiid. He's not a good as good of a defender as Joel Embiid. But he definitely elevates those players around him better than Embiid or anyone else that I've seen in recent memory. Now, you could go into NBA history and go player after player after player that have been able to do that, and certainly there are those. But in today's game, Jokic, just like LeBron James, is a player who who can get the best out of his teammates. And, and Mueller is like the footballing version of that. He is driving and pushing his team to be better at all times. And, and, and quite frankly, players in this younger generation, and I sound like an old man saying this, aren't really built the same way as someone like Mueller at this point. Uh, it's not to say that there aren't, you know, a, a handful of players out there, but they're very tough to find. And if you only have this one year of Mueller, and hopefully you have more, maximize it, use the guy, find a way to get him on the field to make your team better. And if that means Jamal Musiala has to play some wing for that to happen, do it. Do it. Give Musiala the time to work out in those 1v1 matchups, to use his pace and his footwork to beat defenders in those situations and create offense from the outside in. He is so good at that. It's such a dynamic talent doing that. Find a way to best use those players that you have. It's it's extremely frustrating at times when you look at the transfer situation and you can see some of the answers already being on the roster. You know, in the flagship show, I need no, no name in myself. We talked about how Kimmich can be that six that you don't necessarily need to go out and get someone and spend nine figures. Like I get it if you can realistically get Declan Rice, why you would want to do it. You're getting a player who is in the top five in his position in the world and you could probably, you know, get the same kind of production out of Kimmich at the eight as you would anyone else on the team. Fine. But you don't necessarily need to do it because I think if Kimmich applied himself and bought into that position, he could be just as good as anyone else. So this transfer window is going to present a lot of different scenarios. It's going to be absolutely crazy to follow. But Bayern Munich is on its way to having a, a good window. The signing of Guerrero, when that gets announced, is absolutely going to help the team. The signing of Conrad Limer, at a minimum, gives them better depth in the central midfield. And by proxy, could also start to clear things out there because Ryan Gravenberg is unhappy. Leon Goretzka might be unhappy. And if somehow Byron goes out and gets a legitimate number six to, to effectively push Kimmich to the eight, there's going to be a trickle-down effect there, whether Goretzka admits he wants to leave the club or not. Either way, so far, so good in terms of procuring talent when it comes to Limer and Guerrero. How that talent fits, however, you get a whole other grade for, and this is where I think Brazo ran into some problems. It's great to identify good talent. It's awesome to bring that talent in, but it's a whole separate ball game to think about how that talent fits and for as good as Guerrero is and as good as Limer can be, you know, there's no guarantee that the players are going to be seamless fits. How will they transition? Will they be able to fit into Bayern Munich? We've seen that be an issue, especially with Marcel Sabitzer during his first year. Even great players have trouble at times fitting into Bayern Munich. 
But in the end, this is a transfer window where the team needs to get a lot done and they have a lot of big decisions to make. And if that means bringing in Declan Rice or selling off Serge Gnabry and Leroy Sané, if it means you have to do all of those things to get this club back to where it needs to be, to get them back to being a serious contender for the Champions League, then I think you have to do it. As much as people have allegiances to players and as much as they may be fans of them, if Bayern Munich believes it needs certain players and they can only get those players by selling off some of the existing roster, it's a harsh reality, but it's one that that fans might have to accept to help this team get to the next level and, and really the level that it should be playing at anyway. Now, we covered a lot of ground there, so we're going to take a quick break and come back. We're going to talk about a couple other things that have emerged this week, and uh, we'll have some fun doing that. So uh, hang with us. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Weekend Warm-Up Podcast. This is Chuck Smith. And during that first segment, we covered a lot of the comings and goings with transfer news in terms of who's coming in, who might be going out. And also hit on some of the worldly football topics as that discussion spun into FC Barcelona, their failure to get messy, and the fire sale that's not going to happen now, and all of that. So I had a lot of fun walking through all that, and I'm sure you guys have a lot of opinions on some of those matters. Uh, so please drop them in the comments, hit me up on Twitter. I definitely like hearing what you guys have to say. Uh, it's it's really the key reason to do these podcasts. Like it's, it's great to, to be able to have the ability just to produce a podcast, but it's the interaction that, uh, that really drives me. I, I trust me, if it was up to me and we had the technology, I would love to, to, to take calls and have discussions with you guys. <laughs> that would be the best. Cause I think that would make for just a fascinating, uh, a fascinating podcast to, to hear your voices live and for us to be able to have some banter and go back and forth with it. But at this point, BPW is, is not in the taking calls category. So uh, while it would be fun, uh, we can't get there yet. So drop us comments and interact with us that way. You know, when, when you kind of take a, a step away from the transfer rumors and you look at Bayern Munich as a whole and where they're going you know, I have been someone who has looked at this entire situation and the fallout that's happened, the sacking of Nagelsmann, the hiring of Tuchel, you know, Khan and Brazo getting getting fired as well. And instability has been this major theme to me over the last six months at the club. I mean, it, you could even go back to Manuel Neuer's fateful ski trip as to where this kind of all started. I know our guy Phil always points that out of, if Neuer doesn't break his leg, uh, if this season turns out way differently on a number of levels, uh, especially for people like Nagelsmann and Brazo and Khan. And this week we saw Uli Honus, who has now risen to power uh, with Karl-Heinz Rummenigge once again, address some of the things that led to this instability. And one of the more shocking things that I thought Uli talked about was when he found out that the club was going to sack Nagelsmann and, and Uli talked, about, he had a, a, a tremendous extensive interview with Sadoja Zaitung about everything that's happened in the second half of the season to where 
this whole club is going. Like he covered so much good ground. But one of the things that he touched on was that Nagelsmann sacking. And a couple of the points that he made were were really fascinating. And this shows you that, listen, I'm someone who didn't necessarily believe Brazo and Khan deserved to be fired. I thought they made a lot of mistakes. I thought they they had some issues clearly, but I wasn't quite ready to pull the trigger because I thought there was something in place and you should at least kind of see where this is going. Byron didn't have the patience for that. And part of the reason they didn't have the patience was really the way that some of the things played out. When it came to Nagelsmann sacking, Honus had some very fascinating points. He said that he did not know and he was not consulted on that decision before it was made. And neither was Herbert Heiner, who was presiding over the supervisory board. Neither of those two men were consulted about the Nagelsmann sacking. So Uli tells the story of, of the Wednesday before it happened, and I believe it all played out on a Thursday, if I remember correctly, because I was driving to Virginia and all of a sudden, like my phone was blowing up and BFW Slack channel was blowing up and I was getting all of this information. Meanwhile, I'm stuck on the road for a good three hours and I couldn't really process it all. But uh, Uli talked about Brazo letting him know after the decision was made. And, and of course, like I said, Heiner and the supervisory board were also kind of kept out of the loop as well. So when when Brazo and Khan made that decision and they were going to sack Nagelsmann, it was the first the first mistake was not running it by the supervisory board. And and Uli did not sound like he was fully on board with canning Nagelsmann either. It sounded like he wasn't totally against it, but the timing was bad and there was enough of a reason to keep him around to not disrupt the season. But either way, Khan and Brazo made that decision and they reportedly made it because they did not want to take the chance of losing out on Thomas Tuchel. But either way, once that decision was made, Nagelsmann was sacked or at least was planning to be sacked. The word leaked out to the media and that was probably strike two in the scenario. And while Uli glossed over that and said there was really nothing that could be done about that situation and how it leaked out. It surely was a bad look because not only did the supervisory board find out late, if you believe this story, but Nagelsmann didn't even find out before the media hit it. So it, it was really bad on all levels, but Uli did kind of back Brazo and Khan in the way that the timing of things, especially with Nagelsmann going on a ski trip, uh, at a time where it probably was not great optics. Uh, he covered that in a way that was really succinct and, and let it be known that that was the wrong move. So Thomas Tuchel, if your uh, team's kind of up and down and you're entering a key juncture, even if you have a couple of days off for an international break, um, uh, don't go away skiing. I think, I think that's the lesson learned here. But either way, Uli then moved on to talking about how he believed that Brazo and Khan didn't really do a bad job, but ultimately the way things played out, there needed to be a change made. And, and, and I, and I think it all made sense in the end. And I think Uli gave a pretty fascinating perspective on 
on how things played out, what, what was going on behind the scenes there. And it was a really open and frank interview. And we're dropping pieces of that over the course of a few days. I need no name hit one where Uli talked about striker targets and where the club might be going that way. Uh, I have one dropping about this whole sacking scenario and there'll be much more from that interview, but uh, the theme of instability is still going to be there. And as many people have referenced to think that Uli Honus and Carl Heinz Rumenega would be presiding over anything that's unstable uh, is kind of funny to think about, but right now this club is in transition. They are at a period where, they cannot afford to whiff on anything. They cannot afford bad signings. They cannot afford to let good players walk away for free. So these threats that Bayern could conceivably keep players like Luca Hernandez and Benjamin Pavar and have them see out the final year of their contract in this upcoming season, it's ludicrous to me. The club cannot afford it at this point. It would be much better to take a lesser deal for these players and get uh, at least some revenue in-house rather than risk losing them for free. You cannot go through this anymore. I think if if you want to look at Brazo's track record for all of the good things he did, he mismanaged several players in terms of their contracts and figuring out whether they wanted to re-up with Bayern or wanted to move on. And it cost them several key free transfers. Uh, you don't want to do that with a Hernandez and Pavar. And, is, and even though you're not going to recoup that 80 million you spent on Hernandez, and you're not going to get much more than what you originally spent for Bavar. You have to go out and get something for them. Now, the 30 to 40 million euro we saw tagged for Pavar is ridiculous to me. 50 at a minimum is, is where I'm starting, but I'm not dictating the marketplace here. Either way, uh, Uli Honus, Carl Heinz, Rummenegger are going to have to ensure that they don't get caught up in their own bravado that they don't think that Byron is more powerful than it is because since the time they were last fully in power, it's not that Bayern Munich has degraded as a club in any way, but the landscape in football has changed. You have much more oil money poured into these clubs, some of these clubs. You have Saudi Arabia now emerging as a legitimate option with the way they are overpaying star players it's not about getting these players even at their prime, but these are still players that can be contributors in many cases. And if you're not going out and and having that option to even think about those players moving to Bayern at some point, uh, if, if, if Saudi Arabia is going to be able to continue to push and make a, a big dent in the market and get players at even younger ages, it's going to affect clubs like Bayern Munich even more. So this is a whole new landscape for Uli and, and Carl Heinz Rumenegger to work through. Obviously, Bayern's a rich club. Obviously, they have a lot of money. And if you wanted to pinpoint two people that could really drive the club forward and get it back to being a stable power, these two might be your best candidates. But they can't afford to have an off window. They cannot afford to have bad signings. And they've got to go out and they've got to make this work with Tuchel because they're out of options there too. We all kind of saw how Tuchel's season played out. He had some good moments. He had some bad moments. I'm not sold on him. Many people are not. And when I say I'm not sold on him, it doesn't mean I'm necessarily down on him, but that he has enough of a track record to show that he's a brilliant coach and a, a, a bad people manager at times. 
So how this plays out with him, I don't know, but he's also gaining more personnel decision-making power within the club and how he manages that and how that plays out. That's These are all things that really create this, this aura of instability. And, and the fact that a sporting director at some point is going to be brought into this and he, this person's going to be brought in as, I don't want to say an underling to Uli and Carl Heinz Rumenega, but in some ways he's going to be their guy. We don't know if quote unquote, their guy is going to be a fan of Tuchel. So there's a lot going on, a lot of moving parts. And for Bayern Munich fans, this is an absolutely vital summer. And it doesn't mean that the club is going to go out and win three trophies next year or whatever. This season is almost in some ways a throwaway. You have to set the club up for future success. Now you tried the transition to, to Nagelsmann to be that move to a next generation. It did not work. So now you're making that move to Tuchel, but he needs more than half a year to get himself established and to work with what could be a severely turned over roster. So while I don't have a lot of hopes for this upcoming season, I think that Carl Heinz Rumenega and Uli Honus, they're going to have to put their heads together to really lay out a map. How does Bayern get from its present state to where it wants to be? And that map is not going to have a journey that extends only one season. It's going to take a lot longer than that. So for fans, we're going to enjoy this ride, the summer transfer window, and we are going to figure out, at least see the club figure out where it's going, but it might not get there for quite a while. So buckle up. This is, this is going to be quite a ride. That'll about do it for this edition of the Weekend Warm-Up Podcast. I appreciate you joining us here. Please check out the flagship show as well when it drops either Sunday or Monday. It's always good to hear the other BFW podcasters chime in with their thoughts on recent events. Uh, as always, you can get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian Football Works or BavarianFBWorks.com or <laughs> at just at BavarianFBWorks. I'm already jumping into the site. Uh, you can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. You can get Tom Adams at Tommy Adams 71 And you can get our site at BavarianFootballWorks.com. Check out all of our great news coverage. We'll be hitting all of these transfer rumors, all of the comings and goings, all of the inner workings of the club to drop. We're covering it all. So check us out there. We love interacting with you guys and, and reading your comments, not just to our podcast, but to our posts as well. Uh, hey, have a great weekend. Uh, hopefully I find some time to dive into some shows. I know you guys are dropping me some great suggestions. So I will at some point dive back into entertainment, but I have not had any time of late to do that. So we will get back to that at some point. Have a great weekend. Have a couple of beers on me and we will see you next time.